Hi, everyone. This is Martin Willis, and welcome to podcast number 117 with Jack Wilson. Today's subject is going to be Art Deco Ruba Rhombic Glass. Very interesting. There's not a lot of it out there. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Those icons are on our website. You can also contact me at info at antiqueauctionforum.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com. Okay, I have Jack Wilson on Skype. How are you doing, Jack? I'm doing well, Marty. Yourself? Very good, thank you. And where are you? You're in Arizona? Prescott, Arizona, one of the top retirement locations in the United States. Ah, well, that right away makes me think of uh, a lot of goodies that may come in that area. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think of it this way in retirement places like Florida, places like that. A lot of people will, may sell their furniture, but a lot of times they'll bring, you know, nice decorative arts with them or artwork. In Florida, a lot of things end up settling there, and I'm sure it must be the same uh, where you're located. Uh, more so, actually, in Phoenix than in Prescott. There's uh, a lot of antique shops here, but not a lot of uh, what I would classify as uh, genuine antiques, more tourist-type stuff. Ah, so today we are going to talk mostly about the subject of Aruba Rhombic Glass, which has always fascinated me from the very first time I saw it. Now, how did you get interested in this subject and start researching and collecting uh, this type of glass? And before you get into that, can you explain basically what the glass is you know, I think of it as like a cubist-type form but uh, in the Art Deco era, but I want you to give a description, if you would, please. Sure. Uh, in uh, the mid-20s, actually 1926, Consolidated Glass Company, which is located in Coriopolis, Pennsylvania, 15 miles outside of Pittsburgh, got into the art glass business at the urging of Reuben Haley, who had worked at U.S. Glass Company and had left when the ownership changed and he didn't like the new owners. So in 26, they came out with a line of glass called Marley, which is basically American Lalique. And in 28, they came out with a line of glass called Catalonian, Old Spanish. And uh, 27 was Catalonian, and 28 was Ruberombic. Well, Ruberombic <coughs> was very, very deco. Now, there's a lot of different uh, ideas about where the name came from, but uh, I think it came from, number one, Reuben, mm -hmm. and number two, rhomboid, which is a geometric figure with no parallel planes. And Reuben Haley was actually a sculptor. Uh, worked at some of the silver companies earlier. And the way I heard the story, he picked up a piece of uh, plaster off the factory floor and sculpted the first piece of the Reuben rhombic design in the plaster. And wow. I heard that from a guy that worked for him. I also interviewed his son, Kenneth Haley, in uh, Pennsylvania before he died. So it's very cubistic glass. It came out in 28, uh, and the problem was it was ultra-modern, number one. So some people liked it and some people didn't. And in 1929, uh, in October, actually, we had Black Friday, which was the Great Depression. Mm. 
So bam, the production life cycle of rubaramic was not very long. And uh, we've had varying estimates of how many pieces there are. Uh, Bob Abel of Modern Gallery in Philadelphia thought it was about 1,500. Uh, based on what I know, I think it's between two and 3,000. But those are very, very small figures when you compare it to something like Lalique, where if you go to a major glass show in Miami, you probably see 20, 30 pieces of Lalique you could purchase. And if you see one or two pieces of Rubaramic, you'd be lucky. I, so it's, I would say you're right. You know, um, I, the first time I saw a piece was when I was working in California. I've been in this business all my life. And this thing came in the door. Someone put it on one of our uh, display case shelves. And I looked at it and I go, wow, what is that? You know, I mean, it really hit me as something pretty special. And it was a little difficult to find um, and when I was doing my research. But that was only, uh, I'm going to say, seven or eight years ago. And I've been at it, you know, since the 1970. So okay, you're, You were asking how I got into it. Uh, I was collecting at one time Millersburg Carnival Glass. And uh, I had a very advanced collection. I, you know, got to the point where I was looking for pieces I didn't have it, and making offers of multi-thousand dollars and couldn't buy them. And so I started looking for something else to collect. And I knew a dealer down in Canaton Hutton, Ohio, and she had a couple pieces of uh, Consolidated, which I didn't even know what it was at the time. I just liked the look of it. So I bought it, and then um, I started trying to figure out what it was, and there was very little research material. And I really like research more so than even collecting. Mm -hmm. And I started researching this stuff, and I said, there's really no definitive reference work. And so I started going down to the Pittsburgh area because there are two different companies involved. Originally, it was all called Phoenix Glass, which was wrong. It was just like the idea of Carnival Glass originally before the research was done. Mm -hmm. So there was Phoenix Glass in Manaka and consolidated in Coriopolis. So my research led me into more and more collecting. But it took me a while to find this Rubaramic, and uh, it was kind of interesting because... <clears throat> The people that originally collected it were depression glass collectors of all things. Wow. Because of a woman by the name of Hazel Marie Weatherman who found an old catalog that had some illustrations of Rubarambic. So originally, when you're really collecting it early on, I remember having an ad in Hobbies magazine, and I bought some shot glasses for $5 a piece from the East Coast, and I got one for a dollar because it was chipped. Huh. Now, you look at the prices today, you're paid, you know, $150, $200 for a shot glass. That's right. That's right. Um, I had someone actually come into uh, my office in, uh, let's see, in April that said they have a collection of 20 pieces. And I was, I am still very excited and hope to get it because you, you rarely see a grouping that large. When you're saying there's, uh, you know, 1,500 to 3,000 pieces in total, uh, that is very you know, a very limited uh, supply out there. Uh, and what's, what's strange is it's very scarce, but uh, it, when it was being collected early on, a couple real treasure troves of it came out. You know, one was like 100 pieces in, in the Sunshine Yellow that Bill Heacock found. Another uh, bunch was like 25, 30 pieces on the East Coast, I actually bought that, and I was bidding against Bob Abel of Modern Gallery, and, and out of that lot came uh, two 16-and-a-half-inch vases, which are ultra, ultra-rare. Hmm. But every once in a while, a bunch of it turns up, and I think what happened 
is it was probably store stock that somebody bought in mass when the depression hit. Right. Oh, that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Now, is the holy grail of the uh, Ruba rhombic, is it the fishbowl on stand? Uh, no, I think the, the holy grail actually is the 16 and a half inch vase. They made vases in three sizes, uh, six and a half, nine and a half, and 16 and a half. And the 16 and a half, you, you typically only see in museums. Uh, there's one in the Toledo Museum of uh, Art in French Crystal. There's another one in the High Museum in Jungle Green. Uh, there's probably a total of six to 12 total known of the 16 and a half inch vases. Wow. And in one single color? No, they come in uh, multiple colors. Uh, I have two in uh, smoky topaz, which is sort of a, mm -hmm. a, a brownish crystal color. Yeah. Uh, they come in French crystal, which is um, a frosted glass where the edges are left clear. And French crystal is a, an illusion, of course, to Lalie. They come in uh, jungle green. Um, I've heard about them in uh, what they call a white opal, which is an opalescent glass with no color over it, but I haven't been able to confirm that. So it, it comes in several colors. Uh, you talked about the fishbowl, and there's, um, there's probably 20 to 25 fishbowls without the stands, and there's probably 6 to 12 with the stands. Wow. That's pretty amazing. As in all very highly collected pieces, are there fakes? Um, there actually are no fakes. There's only uh, one piece, uh, and uh, it's kind of unusual. It's, it, it was made in the 1960s. I've got one with the original label. It came from Yugoslavia. I believe it was a bath salts bottle, and it's in, in a color that's very close to jungle green. It's got a big, tall stopper. It's almost 15 inches tall, and the reason you can tell it's not rubarambic is it's got a whole bunch of characteristics that are wrong. The stopper is hollow. All the stoppers on all the um, bottles that it that in Rubaronic are solid. It's got the definitely mold lines on it. The size is wrong. Mm. But but it's, uh, you can find them every once in a while on uh, eBay, and people try to sell them as whiskey decanters, which, of course, they're not. Mm -hmm. Now, you just mentioned that the fake um, had a mold mark. Are there no mold marks on these glass pieces? Uh, what they did at the Consolidated, they used uh, what they call co uh, cockle joint molds, and that's where the mold lines follow the design. Mm. So there are mold marks, but they're very, very hard to find. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's interesting. Now, the design of these uh, are, is just so abstract, and it seems to me my first thought in looking at a piece, it must be very difficult to design something like this so it has an appeal and doesn't look awkward or clunky. Um, were there pieces that do have that type of look that are a little, say, not so appealing? Um, I think there are pieces that are, uh, I, I don't know if I'd say it that way, I'd, I'd say there are pieces that are more highly collectible than others. It's, it's like uh, rarity is not mm -hmm. the only determining factor. Desirability plays into it, too. So some people, some pieces just look spectacular, you know, uh, uh, the water pitchers uh, are super rare, but they, they just look fantastic when you find one. So, mm. but, and then some of the serving pieces are rare, you know, the, the relish dishes and stuff like that. But they're not so desirable in my mind. They, they, they just don't, don't hit you the same way as some of the other pieces. Mm -hmm. Now, 
can you explain how this was brought into the market, you know, to begin with? Yeah, what happened is uh, there's an annual show down at the Fort Pitt Hotel in Pittsburgh in January uh, for both glass and pottery. And uh, what happened with Rubaromic is uh, Consolidated rented three rooms in 1928, and one room was uh, full of Martelay, one room was full of Consolidated, one room was full of Rubaromic. And they actually took out a a seven-page ad to uh, advertise uh, this in the uh, Gift and Art Shop and several other glass ma- trade magazines that you could, uh, you know, review at the Library of Congress is one place. And so it was it was introduced at the at the Fort Pitt Hotel and in 1928, and the. That's when you started getting reviews, and that's when you started hearing you know, what it meant. Uh, Rubarambic, uh, uh, Rubia was a, a poem, rhombic meaning irregular in shape. And you had a lot of press coverage from that. Hmm. And we also got uh, m- mainly in trade journals, because trade journals is where the wholesale buyers bought the stuff or department stores, and that's how it was introduced. I see. Okay. Now, you mentioned earlier about a piece being in a museum. Are there holdings of these pieces in museums, or is it just a, a few pieces that you're aware of? Uh, there are several uh, museums that have uh, significant uh, amounts of this. Um, uh, Kirkland Museum in uh, Denver has a significant collection, and Antique Rojo actually uh, uh, featured them. They made a visit there a couple years back. Mm-hmm. Um, the Brooklyn Museum has got a, a collection. Uh, Toledo Museum has, has got a collection. Uh, there's there's several museums that's got it, and there's been a couple traveling exhibits also that have uh, featured this glass. Um, the Machine Age in America uh, traveled, and when it traveled to the uh, Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh, I actually loaned them a dozen pieces from my collection to augment their display when I was living in Chicago, including my uh, my fishbowl. That you know, the fishbowl is one interesting thing. Is all the rubberomic was made by Consolidated except for the fishbowl. Yeah. And and if you look at the patent on the fishbowl, it's got the uh, the factory owner's name, but it was actually designed by Kenneth Haley, who was working at Phoenix after his father died. Wow, how about that? Now, you mentioned earlier Hazel Marie Weatherman, I believe it was, um, and you talked about a catalog. Can you please explain again how this had something to do with depression glass? Yeah, uh, Hazel Marie Weatherman had a book called uh, Price Trends to Depression Glass 2, and in her revised edition of that book, she she came up with a catalog of uh, consolidated glass, including some rubarambic pieces. So she published that catalog in, in her uh, Price Trends book. It was, it's like a price guide, basically. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. And she put in uh, what she called, you know, market prices. And they were all ranges, you know, like, say, a shot glass would be 5 to $10. So that was the first that, that I could find of actual uh, in-the-marketplace information on rubaromic and it, it was for depression glass uh, collectors and dealers so initially i would find most of my rubaromic at depression glass shows i would you know I'd go to the show down in miami i'd go to the show in chicago etc and there would always be dealers that would have some 
because that's where the information originally came out. I see. A lot of people always want to know this. Are you aware of what the record price is for anything in this line? Uh, the highest price that I can document, and, and the problem always is, is there's private sales and people won't talk. That's, sure. that's one, one of the problems we run into. Mm -hmm. But I, I know, uh, and it, it's almost 20 years ago, one of the 16-and-a-half-inch uh, uh, vases sold for uh, 12500 And I think if that were to hit the market, uh, you know, with a knowledgeable buyer and seller today, it would be closer to 25000 But wow. the documented price is, is 12500 I've also heard that, that the fishbowl is sold close to $20,000 with a stand, but I can't confirm that. And that, that's the problem you run into again when you have private sales and people won't talk about what they spent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, did the fishbowl itself come in different colors or was it that yellow no. marigold? It's a it's a Vaseline, true Vaseline. Okay. Uh -huh. it's, it's very thick glass. It's like a quarter inch thick. It's wow. got a uh, it's got a, a signature on on the base molded into it, and the fishbowl actually uh, came in two sizes, which is sort of amazing because I didn't see the second size for a long, long time. But there's a three quarter uh, size version of the fishbowl that you see once in a great while. It also came with a couple different bases. Uh, the, the one that you normally see is the one on the cover of my book, which is the floor stand. But there's also a small table stand, uh, maybe three to four inches tall, that would sit in the, like the center of a table. That, that's highly unusual. And those are the two stands I've seen that actually were made for the fishbowl, and they actually follow the angles of the base. I've seen people put them on bases it doesn't belong on, and try to say it's a rubaromic base, but it's not. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about your book. Um, what's the name of it, and where can someone find it? It's called uh, Phoenix and Consolidated Art Class, 1926-1980. Uh, it's been out of print for 10 years, so where you find it is used book dealers and once in a while on eBay. I see. Uh, mm -hmm. We printed 5,000 copies, and it sold out about... Oh, 1999, I think it was. Wow. Almost time for a second printing, maybe? Uh, yeah, uh, the publisher's out of business, but I've got all the, uh, you know, files and pictures and all that sort of stuff, and with the advances in technology, it would be actually fairly easy to do. Right, right. I understand from other people I've talked to, I've never written a book, but I understand that there's a lot involved in that. How long did it take you to put that book together? Uh, the, the research is really what took the time because mm -hmm. uh, what you find is finding the glass is easier than finding the catalogs and the real information, the facts, not just the you know the thoughts about it. So it took me about 10 years to pull it together because I, I was definitely against a picture book where you just have a lot of pictures and no information. I wanted something that was definitive in, in terms of uh, really being a reference book. Mm -hmm. Now, has there ever been any rumor or any factual uh, evidence that you're aware of as to what in actually inspired Reuben Haley to design the first piece? No, I uh, actually talked to a guy that worked with him, and, and he's and he who is still alive, by the way, down in, wow. in Pennsylvania. Wow. And uh, um, and he told me the story about him picking up you know the piece of plaster off the factory floor and, and sculpting it, but there's nothing that s says I was inside his head, and I can tell you why he, he did this. Mm -hmm. Don't know. It was very Art Deco. It was the time. It was mm -hmm. the you know, 
the, the height of Art Deco, so I'm sure he was influenced by other things. Oh, yes, yeah. I, I had just wondered if perhaps it was maybe a Cubist painting that he was inspired by, or, um, but I can totally see, you know, I, I love the Deco era because it's so out of the box, and it's, you just find so many unique pieces, whether it's a, a radio or, you know, any, any type of decorative art, you, you just, or furniture, you never know what you're going to see. It's really amazing. Overall, how do you think the market is on Art Deco? Is it just the high-end items, or is it uh, everything still strong in general? Uh, I think it's, uh, like a lot of antiques, it's cyclical. It goes up and down. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Rubarambic is, is so rare. Uh, anything that comes on the market, uh, unless it's very common, and the, the only thing that's really common are some of the smaller plates, uh, will sell for fairly good money. And the reason you can tell it, if you watch some of the stuff on eBay, even the stuff would, uh, what I consider significant damage brings fairly good money these days. And, that, and the reason for that is in the early days, the good stuff was, was bought up by collectors and museums, and that's where it's sitting right now. So what you're seeing that's coming on the market is the stuff that probably was passed 20 years ago. You know, if it had a crack in it, people wouldn't buy it. Today they will. So I think uh, the, the really great stuff, uh, there's no doubt about it, is going to bring big bucks. And you can see it in terms of, you know, uh, they appraised a, uh, a whiskey set. I think it was last year on the Antique Roadshow from a woman in, in Pittsburgh. And uh, that's a premier piece. You know, if you want to collect that stuff, uh, here's a, a whiskey decanter and shot glasses and a, a tray, which is very hard to find, mm. uh, which is sort of an iconic piece. If mm -hmm. you're collecting that stuff, it's going to bring big bucks. And when people realize uh, how rare this stuff is, a lot of people still don't even know what rubarambic is. You know, I always say, uh, you see glass collectors, and they're talking about how rare their glass is. And I said, have you seen a piece of rubarambic? And mm -hmm. a lot of them haven't. Right, right. It goes back to what I said. <laughs> it took me a long time to find my, my first piece. And uh, I had never had a big fascination for it. But every time I see a piece these days, I'm pretty, uh, pretty interested in looking at it. And it's funny how you can look at a piece... Um, you know, at different angles, you know, this is the type of glass you can actually move around on your shelf to get a whole different effect. Right. Fan fantastic. Uh, and especially if you, you've got a, a display case with uh, mirrors and stuff like that, and then you really get some interesting look-sees at it. Mm -hmm. What other types of glass have you collected? You said uh, there was a type of carnival glass. Yeah, I started off with the, uh, my original collection. I started off with Carnival, and um, initially I was just collecting general Carnival, and then um, uh, I met a collector in Chicago that knew what he was doing, and I, I basically dumped what I had bought originally. And I got interested in the Millersburg Carnival glass out of uh, Ohio. Mm -hmm. uh, and, again, that's another company that didn't have any research. So I did a bunch of research, and I, uh, what I published was uh, Millersburg Research Notes at that time. I sold my collection of Millersburg in uh, 1982 in uh, Strongsville, Ohio. Uh, auction grossed a little over 100, 100 grand. Uh, That's one piece, big money then. Yeah, one piece bought $8,000, a, a rose columns face in blue that I had, I had purchased for $300. And uh, two people were after it, and it was super rare. At the it was the only one known at the time. There's a couple known now. So from that, I bought a house. Wow. You know, it was the middle of the Depression. 
<laughs> but I actually had started collecting consolidated at that, that point in time. And I was really into research. So it was like, you know, finding out what this stuff was. And I used, I was, I was in Chicago at the time. So I could travel to Pittsburgh. I could, I could drive to Pittsburgh in eight hours, basically straight through almost. Mm-hmm. And I just ran down people, looked for catalogs, uh, finally found Kenneth Haley in Greenberg, PA, with his wife. Uh, visited with him several times, interviewed him over the um, you know, telephone several times. And uh, that was, in effect, a breakthrough. I also uh, found a, a, an owner of Consolidated at one time, and Bob Dietz, that was living out in Studio City, California, went out and visited with him, and he had some catalogs he gave me. So. Um, Original catalogs? Original catalogs, yeah. Wow. He had a couple of pieces of glass, but he had several catalogs. And if he had two catalogs, he'd just take one and give it to me. If he had one catalog, he wouldn't give it to me, but he'd let me photograph it. So, mm. uh, But the catalogs are really the hardest thing to find. Oh, I bet. Now, has anyone ever talked about the molds turning up anywhere? Yeah, the, mold, the molds actually have turned up. It's kind of interesting because... Uh, uh, Consolidated went out of business in 1963, and it was in the middle of a labor dispute. And the, the Dietz brothers actually uh, bought the company for $20,000, think, in that range, okay. with bank backing from the guy that owned Sinclair Glass Company in Hartford City, Indiana. And eventually, uh, Sinclair Glass Company ended up with the molds, or at least half of them. Um, and they, the rest were scrapped. And I actually went down and visited when I was writing the book, Hartford's, uh, Sinclair Glass in Hartford City. And they were using about a dozen of the molds. Uh, the rest of them they had out in chicken coops oh. lying on the ground. Can you, and, you know, <laughs> chicken coops are you know, not waterproof, of course. And uh, just amazing because I, I could see, a, you know, like a dancing nymph's a plate mold or, you know, half of it at least laying on a ground full of water. But they had about a dozen they were actually using. Um, they made, uh, in the 60s, they, they modified some of those molds to make swag lamps. You know how they used to hang from the ceilings? Mm-hmm. So they put flanges on top of some of these vases and, and uh, made swag lamps out of them. Didn't make a lot because you don't see them very often. Um, those molds uh, eventually were sold to, uh, those dozen or so molds were eventually sold to uh, Pilgrim Grass, Glass Company up in Cerrito, West Virginia. Mm-hmm when uh, Kelsey Murphy was up there as their glass designer. And after they were sold, I went up and actually visited with Kelsey to take a look at what they were doing. And they had the big uh, 16-inch Blackberry umbrella stand mold. And while I was there, they made me um, one in black that was sandblasted, you know, to to make it look matte rather than, than bright. Mm-hmm. And and those and Pilgrim now is out of uh, business, and those molds have gone to a collector. They're they're out of the market. Uh, Phoenix molds, they had a bunch of molds too, and they're in the basement. Uh, Phoenix no longer has uh, hand molding capabilities. They're all machine molds, mm-hmm. so they can't use those molds. I would still feel a little bit uneasy if I was a had a major collection and I knew the molds were out there myself. Um, but is there any danger of that being pirated in any type of way or any of the, any of the pieces? Well, any, anything is possible. I'll t- I tell you one story. When I was in Chicago, and I won't name names to protect the guilty, but I've got a, I got a pair of ruborhombic uh, wall sconces. They're rather large. They were probably commercial, you know, in a theater or something like that, and they're very rare. Wow. Yeah, that so, sounds great. Uh, 
So I, I knew a, a lamp dealer, fairly significant lamp dealer in Chicago, and I was telling him about the sconces, and he asked me to borrow the sconces so he could send them to China to have them reproduced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I which I would not concur to, of course, but that's just the, yeah. Oh yeah, that's just the kind of stuff that's going on. Absolutely, I'm going to get a little bit off track here, but I want to tell you that I saw some French Ampere style Doré bronze uh, figural candelabras that were cast in China that you could not tell these were not period regilt. The casting was perfect. They can make amazing copies in China, it seems. They have to have something to copy, though. So That's unless right. Somebody, unless somebody cooperates, you know, they're not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't in that case. But I'm sure the person that was looking is probably continuing to look. They're still in business. So, and, and, and I've seen some of the consolidated uh, lighting glass. Uh, the lighting glass came out in uh, a little later than, than the rest of the glass. And so there's a lot less of it because of the depression. But I've seen some of the stuff uh, reproduced. Uh, some of the sconces I've seen reproduced. And... Those you can actually, if you're a glass collector, you can actually tell the differences in the reproductions and the originals. But I haven't, you know, other than the the molds that I to- told you that actually moved around to uh, Sinclair Glass Company and Pilgrim are the only ones, and those are identifiable. Mm-hmm. You, there are ways of telling those. I see. Now, you mentioned when we first started talking that, um, you know, the, the Great Depression hit, so that hit in 1929. Was this glass made just the one single year? Uh, I, I think it was probably made uh, 1928 and into 29. And then I read, uh, you know, I read the trade journals. I was at the Library of Congress, and they used to get, the union used to send in a report every month about what was going on at the factory. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounded like the, the worst thing in the world is, you know, people were being laid off. So I think the longest it was made was 18 months. Now, they made some lighting glass a little later, 28, uh, 29, 30, but it was, it was very, very hard to find, so they couldn't have made very much. Um, for example, uh, you know, I sent you that little uh, recap of Rubaramic, and I included a 14-inch shade in there. There's probably less than 10 of those shades known worldwide. Hmm. So it wasn't, they couldn't have made them very, very long, just impossible. Right. And after uh, Consolidated shut down uh, in 31, and some of the molds actually went to Phoenix, uh, for the, and they had labels on them originally called the Rubin line because uh, 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 Kenneth Haley moved them over there in honor of his, his father. But they never made any Rubarambic after Consolidated shut down, and they never made it after it reopened in 36. So there was just a short period of time that Rubarambic was actually produced. And I've never seen a rubaramic mold, even when I visited Sinclair and I walked through all those chicken coops looking at all their molds. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they weren't there. And now Sinclair is out of business, and my understanding is those molds have been turned underground, as my, some people I've talked to down there. Now, what do so, you mean by that, turned underground? They basically buried them underground. I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Took a tractor and, you know, pushed them underground. That's good. What would you consider would be the biggest uh, grouping or collection that has come up in uh, Rubaramic glass? Uh, the biggest collection that I've ever seen that have been publicly uh, available was uh, uh, Bob Abel's uh, 
Modern Gallery in Philadelphia in 1992 uh, mounted an exhibition and sale called uh, Rubaramic at Modern. And uh, Bob Abel actually hired a professional PR firm, sent out postcards to 3,000 people on his mailing list. And it was 350 pieces of Rubaramic that were on exhibition and sale. Uh, most of them were for sale. There was a few pieces that were exhibition only, but most of them were for sale. Uh, the majority of the pieces in that collection, but not all, were from um, the collection of a depression glass dealer, um, Kevin uh, Kiley of West Orange, New Jersey, and then Abel augmented it with additional rubberomic from, you know, Deco dealers in New York. And uh, they had a preview, uh, which I attended because I, I lent them a bunch of, uh, you know, illustrations from my book. That seven-panel broadside that introduced Rubaramic was blown up. Uh, and uh, so that sale uh, set the watermark, the early watermark, as, as far as pricing. Because all of a sudden, when uh, Rubaramic appeared at Modern Gallery, we left the age of being able to buy cheap Rubaramic depression glass prices to having Rubaramic acceptable as true Art Deco glass and priced accordingly. So several major you know, pieces sold at that sale. Uh, there was a lot of uh, museum acquisitions. Um, I mentioned that French crystal vase uh, that uh, the Toledo Museum of Art acquired for 12500 uh, That actually came from uh, Bob Abel's sale. Hmm. So uh, wow. it, it, it was the high watermark. Uh, I've never seen an accumulation, a public accumulation like that since. Uh, you know, there's several large collections of Rubaramic. Uh, I'm one. I know of uh, one in San Francisco. Uh, I know another one in Miami. But these are not public, so you just can't go and look unless you know the people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Wow, this has been great. Um, I want to ask you one more question. Are you available to the public that is listening to this to evaluate? Yes, I will. Uh, but uh, I, I give my opinions, but I'm not a professional appraiser. And, and I guess there's a difference between that because I'll say, you know, what I think something's worth, and I say, here's what the market looks like today. Mm -hmm. And a professional appraiser probably give them three different values on it. You know, here's a replacement value, blah, blah, blah. So I, 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 I give opinions based on my experience. That's the real, the real opinion. <laughs> That's what it is. So anyway, thank you so much. And what's the best way for someone to get in contact with you? The easiest way to contact me is just to send an email to jdwilson1, that's a numeric one, at earthlink.net. All right. Well, thank you so much. This is Martin Willis with Jack Wilson, and we're signing off. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com.